0: Welcome to Cathedral Talk, a podcast about architecture and Minecraft, where we converse to save Notre-Dame.
1: one thing that unites the three of us in our collective history and shared experiences slash interests. There's only one thing. There's only one thing. Um, Sledding. We all played trombone. Tom actually got it in one. I was not expecting that. Is that because you're playing Trombone Champ? Yes, but Tom doesn't know that. Wait, there's a Trombone Champ? See, this is the perfect intro to our podcast. Oh no. Uh, You will now get to experience the glories of Trombone Champ, which was a game built specifically for the three of us. Oh. Uh, We will overlay... Some beautiful noises of Trombone Champ oh. for the listeners as part of this. But just so you know, Trombone Champ is guitar hero for trombones. You know, the thing that we've all been clamoring for. So here you are. Wow. Feast your
2: eyes on Trombone Champ. This is alright we're going to do Beethoven's fifth in trombone. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> It's a good thing Beethoven was deaf.
3: <laughs> like, oh my god. <laughs>
2: Why does it just keep saying nasty over and over again? <laughs> because he's not getting the timing right. Because I'm not very good. Wait, are you actually doing this
0: right now or is this a video?
2: Yes. This is me. This is a video game.
0: Yeah, I know it's a video game, but is it actually in real time or is it a YouTube video?
2: This is, this is David playing. This is me. This is me doing it. I'm talking. What's the interface? He's mostly nasty.
1: There's actually a breath meter. You, you have to hold. You have to breathe every now and then or it uh, freaks out. <laughs> Wait, that wasn't the entire piece. No, it definitely... Uh, yeah. It wasn't. You're right. I've been robbed. Should definitely do the entire piece. But now the world has been graced. With Trombone Hero. And frankly, I think at this point, we should probably just start the podcast over uh, at episode one and and just make this a trombone podcast since we now have found a clearly better topic for us.
2: Okay. Okay. So instead of Notre Dame and Minecraft, this is going to be trombone and what?
0: Maybe trombones and
2: Beethoven. No, I think trombones and Disney movies.
1: No, there's a good history of trombones and Beethoven. This is a completely apocryphal story, but it's a great story. So I'm going to go with it. Trombones before Beethoven were only used for funerals, and then Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, which you just heard a beautiful excerpt of, is about fate. And the trombones come into that uh, symphony in the final movement, uh, which is about overcoming fate or death or something like that. Uh, And so Beethoven decided to bring in uh, the instrument that had been classically used for only funerals to build into the triumph of the piece. It was apocryphally the first time that trombones were used in a symphony. It was not the first time that trombones were used in a symphony, but we like to tell ourselves that because it's a better story.
0: I knew that trombones weren't always there, and I had forgotten that it was Beethoven. Uh, So I guess, thank you,
1: Beethoven. Again, that's not true, but we're pretending like it is.
0: Okay, all right. As usual, I'm not listening to what you say. Yeah, I figured... Do you, do you guys still have a working trombone?
1: No. Yeah, it's right over there. I know where it is. Every now and then, and by every now and then, I don't mean since I've graduated college, but in the few times when I would not play for like a year and then pick it up again, who boy do your lips swell up the first time you try to do that?
0: Oh, no, it's terrible. I, I actually just pulled out my old one, which I hadn't touched in at least a dozen years or more. And yeah, no, you can't do it. I'm worth a Jack.
1: Wow, this is, con- this is relevant timing then. I did not know you did that.
0: Well,. My trombone is a working trombone in that you can buzz into it, but not move the slide.
1: Ah. That's a problem. Yeah. I can play three notes. You should be able to play more than three. Same note, but in the,
2: in different octaves. Not even the same
1: note. Yeah. It's B flat, F, B flat, D, F, B flat, all in first position. Wait. I thought... This is boring audio. Let's move on. Yeah.
0: So I got a text message from Zach. Actually, no, it was a text message from David first. And he said, I did my homework. And then Zach texted, crap, now I have to do my homework. So Zach, you finished your homework, right? I finished my homework. Yes. That's good. When did you finish your homework?
2: I finished my homework about six minutes after the scheduled time of our call.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We've just been sitting here,
2: fork and knife and hands, pounding the table. Playing trombone champ. Were
1: you doing your homework by
0: yourself, Zach? Or did you have a partner?
2: Uh, my wife was surprised that I had not done this homework earlier in life (laughs) (laughs) that I waited until I was 37 to do this homework. Uh, and so she graciously, uh, sat with me as I experienced in all of its glory, uh, the homework that Tom has assigned for us.
0: She is aware that you've never seen Mary Poppins, right?
2: We went to go see Mary Poppins performed live. That's not the same thing. Eh, I give credit for it. It's better. Mm, no, I don't. <laughs> well, you can take it up with her.
0: So uh, the homework is we thought we would change gears a little bit this episode and talk a little bit about the classic Disney movie, The Hunchback
2: of Notre Dame. Very different. Not on brand. Notre Dame.
0: Very different. Yep. 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 Oh, yep. <laughs> okay,
2: okay. <laughs> Very different. Yeah.
0: So, Zach, what did you think of Disney's Hunchback of Notre Dame? Thumbs up,
2: thumbs down. Be gentle for Tom's gentle heart. For Tom's sake? Yeah, that's all right. Esmeralda is awesome. I think we can all agree.
0: Esmeralda's pretty, pretty cool, yeah. Yeah. Originally um, voice acted by Demi Moore. And she's the only one of the major cast who actually didn't also do her singing. Her singing role was done by Heidi Mollenhauer. Uh, I've never heard of her, so I, I can't speak to her. But um, I think that was a more common thing back in that sort of golden age of Disney movies with Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Little Mermaid and Lion King. A lot of the voice acted parts were also sung by entirely different people just because it's a cartoon. You can't tell the difference.
1: Still happens now, pretty sure. I don't think that's an old thing. But I'm struggling to think of an example.
0: Yeah. The other uh, notable actors from the original animated movie, Tom Hulse played Quasimodo. Uh, he was Mozart in Amadeus.
1: The only other credit that anyone knows
0: him for. Yeah, that's true. And then Kevin Klein
2: played Phoebus. I noticed that none of them had French accents. Yeah, this is for American children.
0: Well, I mean, they, I feel like some of the extras probably had some French accents. But yeah, none of the main cast did.
2: I mean, just because it's for Americans, why do they not have French accents, even if it's for Americans? Because then Americans won't be able to understand. It's got to be in the proper America. They can be speaking English uh, in the proper American. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. I didn't make the movie. You didn't make it. I'm surprised. Yeah. Uh, it's a shock to everyone listening that I did not make The Hunchback of Notre Dame. But me and Kevin Klein are buddies. So it does scan that he would be part of the movie. There you go. Is he still alive? I think he is.
0: I don't know. I haven't seen him in a while. Thinking about what you just saw, Zach and David, you've seen it enough. I think you can probably think of it too. What do you think was the first scene that really sold me on this is going to be like my movie?
2: the opening Deep opening scene yeah
0: <laughs> yes you both got Where it right away starts uh, with
2: bells. No, no 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 but not even just the bells yeah it starts with the towers coming out of the the clouds clouds, clouds. yeah man yeah. because the cloud cover apparently is just sea level
0: <laughs> well it, it definitely makes you think that it's like a skyscraper in that opening
1: shot I mean, it's it's kind of accurate to original Minecraft. That's about where the cloud level was for when Tom first built Notre Dame. That's
2: very true. Yeah, that's a
1: very good point.
2: Yeah, yeah. It was just a very foggy day in Paris at one specific height. Yeah. Yes.
0: Did you Tom? Did you see that in theaters? Uh, no, I didn't. It was it was always VHS for me. I did not actually get to see it for I think probably at least a year and after it came out. I think I remember the first time I watched it was at Grammy's house.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I actually think the VHS that we own was mine, not yours, I think. It's quite possible. Yeah, it's quite possible.
0: I I imagine we probably got it for a Christmas at some point, and then we all just watched it, and then I was like, this is mine now.
2: Probably. (laughs) What do you think you missed out on not seeing it in theaters? Um, Because I would say nothing. (laughs) It's a conversation about live... experiences
0: wait is, yeah is this a conversation uh, that's dragging the movie or is this a conversation dragging the cinema experience altogether
2: no cinema is good for some things you know like did you see top gun maverick in the theater it was probably pretty awesome i didn't but it was probably pretty awesome yeah Not everything benefits from the huge screen. And I would say this one was pretty nice to watch at home with the lights on and the cats running around the house.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's
2: like modern
1: Disney movie feel like they're they're largely meant to be kind of homey.
0: Well, one of the things I really like about the opening shot. In the animated cartoon is that, you know, you see the the towers bursting forth from the clouds and then the camera pans under the clouds. And I just love how all the houses start parting around like they're on different like moving slides that they're just sort of moving around. And then they sort of subtly shift of the drawn sketch Notre Dame to one that's sort of, you know, standing under it looking up. But it's just really creative, like it's fun to watch the limitations of the technology they had because there's no CG at this point.
2: Oh, there's definitely CG in that movie.
0: Oh, Later in the movie, yeah, but not not for this one shot, I think. I think this one shot is animated, but then there's CG later in the movie, yeah. In this shot, like all of the different houses, like they're not moving or pivoting like they're a 3D wireframe. They're just, you know, flat, still shots that are all sort of sliding and shuffling around as the camera pans through it. Uh, it's, it's a neat artistic shot, and I've always liked that shot.
1: I just realized we're going to be dissecting this movie at the same pace that Tom is building Notre Dame one frame at a time. <laughs> Five years later, we might be done talking about this movie.
0: I, I think it's fair to say that we will return to this movie again, oh, so no. I will make my peace with not having to talk about everything that's on my mind in Hunchback of Notre Dame.
2: It's a 90-minute movie. Did you find it? Well, okay. this Here's
3: an
0: interesting question for you, Zach.
1: Hmm. We'll be the judge if it's an interesting question. You can ask a question.
0: Since you have not seen as many many Disney movies as the average American. I think it's probably safe to say, right?
2: Uh, the average American in your mind has seen Chitty Chitty Bang Bang.
0: (laughs) Okay. So would you say that you felt that this movie didn't seem that different than other Disney movies or did it feel that it was a standard deviation away from what you usually expect from a Disney movie?
2: Uh... Yeah, I would say that it felt like a Disney movie.
0: Okay. So it didn't feel any discernibly different in tone or theme or execution than what you normally see.
2: No, it reminded me a lot of, especially the last act reminded me a lot of Beauty and the Beast.
0: That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. People, I've heard that before.
1: Yeah. Tom, were you trying to fish the answer that people say that it's very different?
0: Yeah, I was, well, I wasn't trying to get that answer, but I was curious if Zach felt that way. And again, he does not seem to feel that way. I mean, do you feel like
1: it's a dark movie or not? No. No. Okay. Yeah. I think for a kid's movie, it's pretty dark. Yeah.
2: I mean, for a kid's movie, but for a movie, no. For an animated movie, no. Maybe for a Disney movie, maybe. But like Beauty and the Beast again. That's fair. You know, I, I think if you go back and as, a, as an adult, and you you're probably doing this with an uncritical eye, but if you do it with a critical eye and you go back and watch Little Mermaid's pretty messed up that's fair
1: i think what makes it darker than i i completely agree with you that especially in that quote-unquote golden era of disney lion king is a very dark movie
2: i always have got to bring that up as well yeah
1: yeah uh what you're saying in little mermaid what you're saying in beauty and the beast what i think that does set a hunchback apart a little bit from that in its darkness is that it is quote-unquote real life yeah And like historical, Uh, I'm not saying it's obviously huge liberties. I'm not. And it's a it's a yeah, based on a a story, too. But it is human characters, a historical event, quote unquote, unlike those other stories, which are, you know, more like Grimm's fairy tale where it's one thing to be darker in a fairy tale compared to darker when you are depicting history.
0: Yeah. That's a I think it's a good way of, I think,
1: comparing that there's no
0: magic in this movie except for talking gargoyles, which I mean, that's magic. But it's definitely not the same sort of like magical enchantment like in Beauty and the Beast or a genie in Aladdin or just talking lions.
2: Oh, I was surprised that you'd say talking lions because there's no indication that they're talking in like English, even though the movie is in English. They're, They're just communicating with themselves. It's like an in in theme communication But, like, more people die in Mulan than in Hunchback of Notre Dame.
1: Mulan's after this, I'll say, though. Uh, So it it, it builds on this to some extent.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mulan is also, I think, a bit of a deviation. But (laughs) then what's the what's
1: the mean?
0: Well, I mean, I mean, I guess to put it bluntly, I think the fact that this is an old view of Christianity Like, I can't think there may be others that I'm forgetting, but I can't think immediately of another Disney movie that just has straight up like Christianity in it. And like there's this constant theme of burning in hell throughout the whole thing. And I think just the simple concept of we're going to talk about burning in hell in a Disney movie that is a bit of a deviation from what we're used to from the other source material. Yeah,
2: it's also a deviation a little bit from the book because the Archdeacon is Frollo in the book. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true.
3: <laughs>
2: so one one could say when listening to this, this uh, podcast that the movie is really treating Christianity with kid gloves, whereas the book does not. The book has a much, much more critical view on Christianity and this movie really softens it up. Yeah. It's definitely a frame of
1: reference question. It's are you comparing it against like Zach wants to do other adult dark movies or what Tom and I are saying, other Disney kids' movies and uh, yes, your point of comparison will change.
2: No, but I'm comparing it to other Disney movies as well. And I'm like, what is the mean in your you're you're just saying that like just because it involves Earth? and humans in a way that is non-magical, that somehow makes fire and talk of burning in hell somehow more different than uh sea witch stealing a young girl's voice or something like that. I think it does because it
1: makes it for me anyways, because I think it makes it relatable in a way that fantasy stuff isn't. You're weird.
0: I, I I kind of on David's side on this one, but I get what Zach is saying. You're too.
2: also weird.
0: Well, we we all knew that.
2: Well, you're the weird one out now. <laughs> Two to one. <laughs> That's true. I think all of those stories are supposed to have some like aspect of them that is relatable to the audience, right? Just because they're fantasy doesn't necessarily mean that you, you can't relate to them in a deep and meaningful way. Arguably, writers of fiction would would say that the use of fantasy as a genre allows you to magnify parts of the story and parts of the human experience in a way that makes it even more accessible than the nuance and the shades of gray and the ambiguity of non-fantasy.
1: Yeah, yeah, no,
2: I completely agree with that.
0: Yeah. So maybe just talking a little bit more about, um, since this is Cathedral Talk, the architecture podcast,
1: um, I just wanted to mention just a few. Oh, we're about to talk about the next frame of the movie, aren't we?
2: Yeah, the ringing of the bells when he's right there, right next to them. Yeah, that that's one thing we could talk about. Yeah, that's totally realistic, right? That's how you you ring bells right next to them. Well, no, in, no, in no. giant no. chambers with huge
1: cacophony of uh of, Mines of Moria style uh, space. It is awesome. Well, yes, I think. I think we have mentioned before <laughs> that um,
0: the movie definitely makes the towers appear bigger than they actually are. Interior. Yeah, the interior of the tower is much larger than they are. Again, it's a, it's a, they're large towers, especially in comparison to a lot of other cathedrals. Notre Dame's towers are quite massive. But yeah, you know, again, it, it just makes it look like this cavernous skyscraper as you climb up in the Disney movie. So the scaling is all out of whack. But it certainly is impressionable on a sixth grade Tom.
2: Good. Those animators did a good job.
1: Yeah, they did. And this movie was viewed largely as a huge failure. That's too bad. I think a lot of people said this was like the end of the Disney golden era, or at least this started the end. Started the end.
0: I mean, I I, I fully disagree with that because there's several very large successes that came after it, but you know.
1: Aw. I think people just really hated the gargoyles was a big part of it. What? The gargoyles were awesome. I loved Hugo. Yeah, I thought the gargoyles were pretty good. You you love Jason Alexander just being George Costanza?
0: Yeah, pretty much. So also, I wanted to mention just a couple things to our our friends who are interested in cathedrals and architecture and bells. So the movie has, I think, one of the grandest, like, just introductions. It might be one of the longest ever, you know, this whole backstory of where did Quasimodo come from, his parents arrested... Frollo worried about his soul after he murders Quasimodo's mother, then sends him to Notre Dame. You know, there's like, I don't know, I don't remember exactly how long it is, but I want to say it's a, probably a good six or seven minute intro uh, with the whole Bells of Notre Dame, you know, theme song just playing in the background. And then it culminates right at the end with the shot that we were just talking about where the camera pans up inside the bell towers and it shows sort of a, a silhouette of Quasimodo pulling on the ropes to pull these bells and you just see these bells one after another, these huge bells, much bigger than they actually are, uh, up the tower. But I just wanted to point something out. If you watch those bells closely, those bells are up wrong.
3: <gasps> hmm.
0: And what that means is, as the bell swings, the clapper is hitting the opposite side of the direction that it's swinging. In at least in English change ringing, which again, we'll talk a lot more about sometime, that's a big no-no. You don't want to have your bells up wrong because that makes them much harder to strike correctly and it makes them wobble weird ways and not sound as good. Now, it's not quite the same issue with continental ringing, but I will point out that even Notre Dame's bells do go upright, just like change ringing bells, even though they don't go all the way full 360 degrees.
1: I'm I'm finding the scene. Are you actually
2: watching it right now? Yeah. (laughs) Do you see it? See how it's up wrong? Factual inaccuracies (laughs) in my movie? more likely than you'd think i think the bells are cg too the bells are but the clappers don't really move yeah like the it's more
0: like the bell that's going but that is a sign of up wrong when a bell is going up wrong it tends to be banging more against the clapper sort of a desynced kind of way
2: can bells be a up dog as well up dog yeah i'm not gonna take that bait.
1: what's up dog zach not much what's up with you <laughs> i'm so confused i'm looking what is the issue here you're claiming that uh, beautiful how are they hung wrong i don't get it you don't get okay all right
0: so are you uh, one more time are you watching i'm watching it i'm watching it (laughs) okay so if the clapper were going up correctly yeah it would be swaying in the same motion that the bell is also in and it would be striking the outer edge of the bell on its motion upwards.
1: The the back end and then, yeah.
0: yeah. So as as a bell, like if you watch my hand here, if the bell swings in one way, the clapper follows along that trajectory and then slams against the side. Sure. At the, at the apex of its swing. Sure. And then it does the same thing on the other side. But that's not what's happening in that shot. The clapper is banging on the opposite side of the bell as the bell goes up.
1: I, you might be right. You also might be commenting on very primitive 3D animation where I think the clapper is just not really moving at all. I think it's just a static image. Okay, now I need to
0: watch it again. But I I swear to God, I've watched this movie so many times every time I watch it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's not what it's, it's It's definitely not doing what it should. Yeah. It's it does not doing what you were describing, where yeah. like falling but But I think it's pretty much just staying in the middle because it's one image that they're just like moving back and forth.
0: Yeah, but it's 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 de it's desynced and it's it's not doing what's supposed to, and that is how If the bell were rigged for full circle change ringing, if it could actually swing all the way upside down like change ringing does, that would be the start of what it would look like. Like if you could actually film what a bell looks like when it's going up wrong, that's what it would look like from its initial stages. Sure. So, fun fact.
1: I think this is not so much that the animators didn't know what they were doing, but that, what is this, ninety six? The technology of of 96 only allowed for rigid bodies. I
0: don't think it would have been any more difficult to animate a bell going upright. I think it's more likely people just had no idea what the difference was.
1: Okay. You go back to 1996 and you try animating something and come and
2: report back to us. You
0: know what? They animated the Cave of Wonders in Aladdin. And that thing was way more complicated than a static bell. So I'm sure it could have been done.
2: It's also on screen for like... 30 frames at most. Right. It's not even three seconds. And it has absolutely no bearing on the narrative. The narrative that Tom cares about. The bells
1: are the main characters. What are you talking about, Zach? What movie did you watch? Uh... (laughs) Who cares about all these humans? I know we're going to talk about live action casting later on in this conversation. Just to be clear, Tom doesn't care about live uh, uh, action casting the human parts. He's talking about the bells. Which bells should be live action casted. Yeah, that's a good point. Do you cast bells? You do cast bells. You do cast bells.
2: There's a nice double entendre. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Some appreciation around here. Yeah, I was the one who said it. And
0: since we're on this topic, we might as well just jump out of order in the sequence of events in the movie. You remember that scene at the end with the big, you know, battle in front of Notre Dame and how they suddenly pour molten metal over all the people attacking the cathedral?
2: Yeah, it seems like a great plan. Yeah, I was wondering where that came from. They melted the bells. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, that's sort of like, did they melt down all the bells for this? Or or is it like, did they just have spare metal lying up there? I cannon that they didn't melt down the bells. Oh, really? That's how That's how you cannon? Really? Hmm. But I'm too afraid that they probably meant to.
2: I had Kennon, Yeah, I had Kennen that they had spare metal up there that they could pour down. But the bells are fine. They wouldn't have even had a forge to melt the bells anyway. It's just magical. So
0: that's what the gargoyles were for. Remember, they, they, they squeeze uh, Hugo. Yeah, no. I, and
2: then he starts, you know. That's, that's the part of the movie where the... <laughs> that's where Zach just... <laughs> I was drinking through the entire thing. <laughs> <laughs> but up until that point, they have no interaction with anyone other than Quasimodo and then at that point they start interacting with
0: and the goat don't forget the goat
2: well the it's unclear if the goat is also partly magical yes
0: so are, are are you are you arguing that the gargoyles can be interpreted, at least up until that point, as sort of a Hobbes from Calvin and Hobbes that's only alive in Quasi's imagination.
1: Exactly, but has a profound effect on the world nonetheless. Just like Hobbes. <laughs> Fair enough. Hey, that's not a bad analogy. Yeah,
0: no, it's a good, it's a good one, and I thought about that before. But then, yeah, they sort of break that at the end.
2: Yeah, and so it becomes much less fantastical historical fiction and more uh, magical fantasy, which you were trying to claim that it wasn't. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's fair.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough.
0: That's a, that's a perfectly legit point.
2: That's not
1: the start the stuff that I actually think is the darkest of the movie though. Oh no, 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 I think it's, it's not, it's not when the fantasy turns on.
2: No, I I think the darkest thing in the movie is uh, when Frollo is sitting in front of his fireplace. Yes. Like uh, in, yes. um, That's the best song in the whole movie. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's just like, I can't, I can't handle my feelings. I'm going to punish a woman for making it so I can't handle my feelings ah. or because I can't handle my feelings. Yep. It's like, well, this is too real. Yep. You could substitute the word feelings for other things. Authentic. Yeah, but we'll go with
0: feelings. That's a good way to describe it. Feelings.
2: I mean, even if we weren't being euphemistic, it's still a feeling. It's oh. is still a feeling.
0: <laughs> okay. You had to go there, didn't you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> i bet i don't know do i cut that one i don't know do i leave that in <laughs> i don't know we'll find out in the edit remember that the, our primary listeners are our father and my sister-in-law so just keep that in
2: mind
0: that's a good point now there's a couple other things i think are worth pointing out
2: are they bell related
0: about notre dame and the movie Oh, okay in general
2: those eyes at the beginning when they're staring down at frollo yeah that's messed up yo yeah
0: that was a good scene. I love. I love that.
2: Are those eyes like that?
0: Um, some of them are. Yeah. Oh man. Maybe like not quite so shadowy because it's sort of you know worn away stone after eight hundred and fifty years. But
1: yeah, yeah, they're still there. Yeah. Well, speaking of years, uh, what age is this supposed to be? Like six, so ish. Yeah. David, I, I want you to look this up for us.
0: Look up what is the time period of the original of the
1: novel, Hunchback
0: of Notre Dame, in the novel yeah, with Vic, uh, Victor Hugo. This is something we should know. I, I actually don't know, and the reason that's worth bringing up is that actually. Is something to mention about the architecture.
1: 15th century, early 1400s. So the spire was totally not there. The spire wasn't there. The front of the cathedral should all be painted, it shouldn't be stone.
0: There's lots of other little details that. So, so in general, so there would have been a medieval spire that was stubbier and shorter, but it was not the.
1: Nothing like this.
0: Nothing like the one. The Notre Dame that is more or less animated in the cartoon is the Ville Le 1860s restoration.
1: The one we know and love.
0: The one that we know and love that burned. Uh, but yeah, the actual cathedral would have looked considerably different uh, back in the you know 1400s.
1: But the book, I'm pretty sure if I remember, is roughly contemporary with Villa Duke and helps Prompt that restoration. Yeah. Notre Dame wasn't as loved as hard as it was until the book came out and kind of created a new sense of patriotism about it. Correct.
0: In several documentaries I've watched before, during that sort of time in the, the 1800s, the French were sort of grappling with, you know, what, what, what does it mean to have French culture? What is French culture? And including, what is French architecture? Some people were pushing classical architecture with Greek and Roman style arches and columns and piers and semicircles. Uh, But then Victor Hugo uh, comes along and says, that's Greek and Roman. That's not really French at all. What's French, what is our national heritage, is Gothic. France is the birthplace of Gothic architecture. Uh, And, you know, we've had so many... Other, you know, neighboring countries sort of learn from our style that we should take pride in it and not, you know, tear down Notre Dame and tear down these other buildings that have fallen out of favor. And so, uh, yeah, he writes. So Victor Hugo writes the novel uh, somewhere around the mid 1800s. But again, this is where, like, the novel's written around there, whereas I think the time period of the novel, like you said, is several hundred years before that, right?
2: Did Victor Hugo's writing about the Parisian sewers have the same galvanizing effect on the population?
1: I think now you're mixing Les Miserables, right? That was was more he was commending how impressive the sewer infrastructure had been and so he wanted to write a whole section about that because he goes a great length about the designer and the architect and all that for many many many
2: pages tom was about to say that this i'm conflating Le mis with mm-hmm. Hunchback of Notre Dame but I just came from a movie called Hunchback of Notre Dame where at the end of the second act they are wandering through sewers. This is true. That's true. Yeah.
0: Although they call them catacombs Zach.
2: Well he says he's wading through uh, ankle high sewage. This is true. So why is there sewage if it's not a sewer system?
0: Well if you don't have a sewer system you find a hole.
2: The Hall of Miracles. The Hall of Miracles.
0: Just a couple other architectural notes. Do you remember that other sort of dungeon building called the Palace of Justice, mm-hmm. where Frollo's camped, and it's sort of that spiky castle-looking dungeon place? Yep. Um, there is there there is. I think it's. I think it might be still called this. There are buildings over on that side of the island that Notre Dame sits on, the Ile des Cité, a place called the Palace of Justice. But I think it's part of the. Um, Uh, what used to be the royal palace for, I think, the king over there, because that's also where Saint-Chapelle is um, on the other side of the island. And so it seems like they sort of borrowed some ideas and sort of said in the medieval times that this was sort of where, you know, the government was. Uh, But I think that the actual building that they draw isn't based on any actual building that was there, as far as I'm aware. I've never heard of any archaeology that looked like the animated Palace of Justice, even though there was a Palace of Justice on that side of the island.
1: Got to make something dark and spiky to drive the metaphor home for children. Yeah,
0: you got to have at least one. Government bad. I do like the sort of shots of the opposing buildings, though, like Notre Dame looking out at the um, Palace of Justice, how they're sort of staring down at each other. On the island.
1: It's very unclear where Christianity comes out in this movie. <laughs> Better than it could have. There, there are, it, it, gets, it gets its uh, pro and con moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess it's mostly about who is the believer and how are they using their beliefs mm-hmm. rather than the religion itself.
0: Yeah. Which is a
1: decent message. I'll take that.
0: Yeah. I think one final thing I wanted to mention about, again, the moments in the movie that inspired me. I remember quite vividly as a kid. The scene when Esmeralda is singing inside Notre Dame in the Nave, God bless the outcasts, and there's just lots of great shots i this I think David, you once said that you weren't fully aware that Notre Dame had stuff behind its towers. Mm, yes, you used to think that Notre Dame was just the front, right?
1: Yes, mm-hmm.
0: and to some extent, I was the way that way too. I didn't really have a concept of what a Gothic cathedral was until I watched this movie. And then once they open the doors and Esmeralda goes inside and starts walking around and singing, I'm like, oh, wow, that's a deep cavernous space. And I remember in particular, like she walks past, I think, the north transept rose window and there's like the light shining through the window on the ground. Uh, And there's like the twin colonnades of the arcade with the passerbyers going underneath. And I just remember thinking like it's a, it's a city inside a city, it felt like. It was this sort of feeling of like it's just so big. It feels like I'm like almost like the marketplace or something on the outside where there's just so much activity going on. And it was just this sort of idea of a city and a city uh really just resonated with me and it just i remember that one idea that really got me hooked on learning about gothic cathedrals
1: i had a similar confusion over as we said the what was behind the towers the inside of the cathedral in the in the shots in the movie did not trigger any sort of cognitive dissonance in my head like it apparently did for you. Granted, I was much younger. Uh, but I, what I do remember uh, being very confused about is when Quasi is riding along on the roofs, mm. And I'm like, wait, what is that? I don't understand what any of this is. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not Notre Dame. Was he just on a weird building next door?
0: <laughs> Some of those shots where he's like gliding down the flying buttresses on the water, yeah, uh, that's being channeled out the mouths of the gargoyles. One, they didn't do that, I think, until the restoration with Ville Le So, again, I think that's hmm. something that probably wasn't there until later. Uh, but it's a great shot. And I'm pretty sure that's a CG shot. Anytime you have like the model actually sp-
1: spinning camera,
0: spinning around, spinning camera. Well, the actual model is self-rotating. That's just something that wouldn't have been able to animate with drawings. So, but it's a great shot. So I, I love those shots. Also, one last, last thing you might notice. One of the additions that Ville Le Duc added to the west facade of Notre Dame was right in the dead center of the whole facade in front of the great rose window on the west side between the two towers. He had Mary with baby Jesus flanked by two angels. And in fact, if you look at the rose window there, it's supposed to look like if you're standing, you know, at a certain perspective that the rose window is supposed to be a halo over Mary and baby Jesus. So it's sort of a very artistic way of rather than just sticking a halo on the statue of letting the rose window be the halo. I always, I love that that's addition. And I'm pretty sure that that is actually just a Villa Le Duc idea that he had and he included. So those statues were not there before the 1860s restoration. But you might notice (laughs) because Quasi keeps having to climb up and down and up and down and up and down throughout the whole movie, the west facade, that statue is conspicuously there sometimes and sometimes absent and there sometimes and sometimes absent. And most notably, when Quasi rescues Esmeralda from fiery stake uh, and you know raises her up back to the cathedral and holds her up and says sanctuary, he's standing exactly where that statue should be in front of the rose window. And it's like, oh, it's convenient that that statue is no longer there right now. This is an epic moment.
1: Yeah, It got damaged in the fighting.
0: So one of the homeworks that we uh, assigned, I guess probably Zach, you didn't have a chance to do this and that's fine because this was your first time watching it. But since David and I know the uh, movie quite well, uh, I challenged David and me to come up with a dream cast for The supposed live-action Notre Dame that will definitely come out sometime in the near future. Uh, Nothing has been, like, really officially announced, but again, I've read on the internet somewhere on a website that they said it's definitely going to happen.
1: This is all just Tom's optimistic fever dream.
0: How do we want to do this, David? Do we want to, like, go, like, by part? And then like we'll both say who we think it should be rather than just go down the whole list one person at a time. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's got to we got to do character by character.
0: Oh, definitely. And if you have any ideas, Zach, I, I guess you already had one idea
1: for one of the gargoyles. I have a whole list.
0: Oh, you do? Oh, oh did you? Zach. Wait, did you, oh.
1: you, you come up with this list before you watched the movie or in that six minutes in between you finishing and us starting to
0: record? My God, Zach, how did you do it so quickly?
2: Um, A gentleman never asks and a lady never tells. I can, I can mediate if you don't care about my list since I made it before I watched the movie. No, 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 no. <laughs> Do you want me to mediate between the two brothers? No, 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 no. no, I, want no, no exactly. this is great. I can mediate between the two brothers. Zach,
0: I just, I, I, had, I, I, Zach, I should have had more faith. I am so sorry. I didn't have faith in you that you would complete all aspects of the homework. I was just lucky to, that you watched
2: it at all. But here we are, man. Awesome. Lead us off. Me? Yeah. Quasi. Quasimodo. We're going to start at the top of the list, and I'm going to say Jesus Castro Romero. Okay, who's that?
1: Oh man, I'm going to have to Google things,
2: aren't yeah, I? Yeah,
0: we're going to have to like, all right. He,
2: Jesus Castro Romero, you said? Castro Romero. He's kind of a hunk. Yeah, okay. He's actually of a huge hunk. He's uh, he's pretty popular in Spanish oh. movies.
0: Okay, Cool. What is there like a favorite movie that you've seen him in before?
2: I've
1: never seen any of his movies, <laughs> but he would never <laughs> seen Hunchback of
2: Notre Dame either. So, like, legit, yeah, uh,
0: oh, that's fine. I, I'm just trying to, you know, of him because why?
2: Uh, he is of Romani descent, and so is Quasimodo. Ah, uh, uh, okay. And he is, uh, he's young enough. I think he's born in '95. Um, so he kind of fits that, okay. And I like the idea of someone who is known for his sex appeal. Oh, nice! Being Quasimodo. <laughs> you have touched on something that
1: I struggled with in here, and in, in how to handle the Romani descent aspect of it. Because I, yeah, do, I don't believe I know any actors with Romani descent. Uh, uh, At yeah. least none that are um, the first thing that I would know about them, anyways um actresses in particular as we'll get to esmeralda uh and so i struggled with that uh a bit and ultimately just largely um wanted to comment on that here but yeah mostly uh um say that unfortunately i do not have enough casting knowledge to be able to do that properly
2: okay well that leads us perfectly into david quasimodo So, yeah, that's the thing on Quasimodo
1: that I uh, also wanted to uh, touch on that also made it awkward for me to think through this list is like uh, there are not, as far as I'm aware, particularly famous hunchbacked actors. So presumably you're going to be casting someone uh, who's traditionally able bodied in that role and it's always fraught when you have. Uh well I shouldn't say always fraught more more fraught in modern day when you uh are are casting um uh like that. So, you know, I don't have an answer uh for that for how they should uh, handle that if they're doing actual casting and uh I definitely can't answer that. So, again, I just had to acknowledge and 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 put that to the side. So, who I picked was Rami Malek. Oh,
2: cool. I like Rami Malek a lot. I think um
1: He has an incredibly unique, non-traditionally, unlike Zach who went for uber sexy, Rami Malek is not a traditionally sexy leading man, but has an incredibly expressive face that would, um, a little bug-eyed, frankly, um, uh, that works well for the sort of things that they tend to go with for Quasimodo. Cool. But also he can sing Mm. because he sang... He, he was partially dubbed, to Tom's point earlier, uh, but Freddie Mercury in the Queen movie, Bohemian Rhapsody, it was only partially his voice, but he can supposedly sing. Okay. Cool.
0: Thank you. And I'm, again, I'm not, I'm not familiar with him very well, but I would love to know more.
1: He's in uh Night at the Museum. Oh, he's in Night at the Museum. Forget forgot about that. The most recent James Bond. Okay. Yeah. I saw, I saw him in the first season, Mr. Robot, but I did not watch after the first season.
2: It's exceptional one of the best shows in television don't at me with breaking bad and really i thought whatever
1: you think it continues that, that i heard that doesn't live up after the first season
2: uh i think the final season does things with television that no other director does with television
1: mm. okay all right
2: anyways tom you're Quasimodo. i was mediating this bah <laughs> bah
0: well As to my choice, aside from this actor having amazing acting chops, there's another reason I picked this actor because they have amazing chemistry with another choice of mine later down on my list. And so it's a kind of a real nerdy reason why I selected my choice for Quasimodo as I did. And I wanted to put out a disclaimer I am not trying to make any kind of political statement at all about why I picked this person. Uh, It's just I really like this guy and I want to see him play Quasimodo. I picked Peter Dinklage.
1: Ooh, that uh, that is a political statement you just made. But I love him and
0: I, I say it out of love.
1: He's a great actor. Yeah.
0: hmm I want to hear him sing. I want to hear him sing all the parts. I think he sings, right? I'm sh- He must. He has a wonderful voice.
1: I think I've heard him sing.
2: I was just thinking he's like 50. He is very old. And Quasimodo's like 18. I did not put ages very close together. Fair enough. I can
1: get past that point. I mean, that could be similar to what they did with Cyrano. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter Dinklage was Cyrano in a, in, a, in a new production of Cyrano, where instead of focusing on the nose, which is the classic thing in, in, in the novel, They focus on him being a little person. You could could do something similar for (laughs) this with the maybe exception that the title is Hunchback. So you can't really remove that aspect of it just from a titular uh, level. But Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I see what you're going for, though.
2: Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Next on the list is Esmeralda. All right. I will start us off again. I will go Alina Sherbin. Alina
1: Sherbin. Googling uh a human resource assistant at high point digital
2: no <laughs> she has a uh, she is also romani so her her name what did you say her last name is i was doing the phonetic because i can't pronounce accent marks oh oh got it she was literally in a movie called gypsy queen and she won an award for it. There you go. Oh. She's won several awards, despite how young she is.
1: Were you looking up Romani-descended uh, actors to, to help you with your list? I was. That would probably have been a smarter thing than me just trying to think of
2: names in the shower this morning. Uh, she is also an activist, and the character is an activist as well. All right. All right, David.
1: Again, for this one, uh, this time I I was struggling to come up with someone who I could visualizing the role so much. So instead, I went with a voice that I thought would be really good. And so I picked Renee Elise Goldsberry, the voice of Angelica in the original production of Hamilton.
2: Mm. Nice.
1: She has an amazing voice uh, in that role and uh, has a really good stage presence as well. So I think uh, while I was focusing on that
2: secondarily, it would do really well.
0: Oh, I know her. Yeah, I, I, I know who that is. Yeah. Okay. cool.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Tom, who would you cast as Esmeralda? All
0: right. Well again, I went with like most A listers, Hollywood, so uh I'm probably the least cultured of everybody here and I, I didn't put in as much effort as Zach did, clearly. Um, but my I, I thought that somebody who would do a good job and uh somebody who I thought had the right timbre of voice, uh like I really I'll tell let me give a little side note here. I really the thing that I have a hard time with in these live action remakes Is when they cast somebody who has a completely different timbre of voice than whoever was cast before. For example, uh, Jafar and Aladdin. Pretty sure the guy who's playing Jafar is a tenor, whereas Jafar is not even a baritone. Jafar is a bass. He's just a bass in the cartoon. And I mean, sometimes that's okay, but. Like, there's just certain characters my brain simply can't get over. Like, I I, I need, like, a certain register when I expect a certain character. Um, and to me, Esmeralda has this sort of very Alto 2 voice. Um, and i sort of looking for somebody that has that sort of same register. Uh, so I went with Zoe Saldana.
1: Oh, yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Have I heard her sing? I can't recall hmm.
0: explicitly if I've heard her sing, but... Uh, I don't know. She's just got such no. a
1: wonderful voice. She must. <laughs> no, no, that, that's solid casting too. I get that.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay. On to Phoebus. I'm just getting sidelined as a mediator here. <laughs> Sorry. <This> is brutal. <laughs> what did you want to do next? Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to do Phobus, even though in the, uh, the movie he calls himself Phoebus as the the God of the sun. This is BS nonsense. Anyway. Uh, Gaspard Uliel died, so you can't cast him, which is kind of sad. Uh, so I went with Stefan Manas. He plays, uh, Richard Montlar on Ted Lasso. Wait, I
1: am looking at the right guy, aren't I?
0: Yeah. Huh. I've forgotten this character.
1: Yeah, I don't really remember this guy. All right. Yeah, this guy Fine.
0: was clearly very forgettable for me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Brutal. I mean, like, I'm not saying I don't recognize him, but I don't remember any specific scenes he's in.
2: Fine, David, who
1: memorable. I mean, <laughs> he's sexy. You picked a sexy man for the, yeah. the the generic sexy guy. Yeah. I went even more generic, uh, generic sexiness. Chris Pine. <laughs> You're right at the money. <laughs> I think
0: Chris Pine too. <laughs> oh, you. Oh.
1: I specifically said a hey, Chris and then parentheses Pine or Evans. <laughs>
0: No, it's got to be Pine. It's got to be Pine.
1: A, Chris is fine. I mean, it's the most white bread, milk toast character of all time.
2: It is. Just (laughs) throw any Chris at it. Throw Chris at it. Yeah, that's fair. All right. Well, I guess that gets Tom's out of the way as well. Should we go to Frollo then? Yes. All right. All right. Frollo. I did Vincent Cassell. That name sounds familiar. Do I know any names on your list? He uh, he was the instructor in Black Swan. Oh, I know oh, this guy.
0: Oh, it's that guy. Yeah, I know that guy.
2: That's solid. Oh, yeah. And he's French too, right? Yeah, as is Stefan Manasse. Ah,
1: uh, okay. So then you picked French people. Now I understand.
2: Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Vincent Cassell also played the Beast in a Beauty and the Beast oh. movie. It wasn't the Disney quote unquote live action remake, but it was a... Live actor mixed with CG movie. But that that's good. Good thinking French.
0: Yeah, solid. That was well thought out, Zach. I like that one.
1: Granted, I only know him from Westworld season three, which I vehemently disliked, but he was good in it. Well,
0: he's also uh, in Ocean's 12, isn't he?
1: Oh, is he? It's been so long since I've seen that. Yeah. Well, David,
2: who's your Frollo? Uh, let Tom go first. Okay, Tom, who's your Frollo?
0: <laughs> I think the audience, if they have paid close attention to the podcast, which I know... One person has. Uh, they will all, They'll already know who I picked for this one.
2: Patrick Stewart.
0: And this one is just has to be this person. There's no other choice. Charles Dance. You have to have Charles Dance as your Frollo. And of course, then now we see why I also wanted to go with Peter Dinklage as Quasi. <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> That's a little too on the nose.
0: It, maybe a little bit. But would I watch it? Oh, hell yes. Would I watch it?
1: I, I I do agree with you that I like Charles Dance in that role quite a bit. Mm. Again, I'm now feeling very sheepish that Zach found a, uh, ethnically correct actors for all of the parts. But uh,
2: I didn't for the gargoyles.
1: <laughs> well, we'll get to the gargoyles. But so I struggled to come up with any uh, an answer that I liked more than Charles Dance. Uh the two that I I did have, well one that I came up with and one that my wife came up with. The first that I came up with is just well, if you just want generic bad guy, I don't think he's ever played a uh a good character in his entire career. Mark Strong, you know. Can't can't go wrong with a just a generic Mark Strong bad guy. Mm. Okay. It's always the same.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I see it.
1: You don't love it. But uh, but then Shaw had a, a very creative idea that would be a very different type of uh, character, but I would enjoy watching, mostly because I enjoy watching him in anything, Billy Crudup. I know him from, most recently, The Morning Show, which, not a very good show, but, oh boy, does he eat the scenery in that show. So
2: good. Okay. Shall we move to Klopin? So I, I, needed, I needed to have a,
0: a moment here and say that, I don't have an answer for Klopin. I I failed on this one one. I just I couldn't find somebody that I just I couldn't do it. I couldn't find somebody that felt right to me. So I'm curious what you guys came up with.
1: Klopin's the jester guy.
0: Yep. Yeah, he's he's the narrator and also a character, too. Right. All right.
2: I will lead us off with uh, Oscar Enada. I'll drop his name in chat as well. He was in Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. He was in The Man Who Killed Don Quixote and he was also in Rambo Last Blood. So I guess none of those movies anyone watched. Do I know this guy? Including you? Have you seen any of those movies? I've seen Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. I wanted to watch Men Who Killed Don Quixote, but I because it's a Terry Gilliam movie and mm. those are sufficiently weird for me, but I have not seen that yet. I see in that movie, he
1: plays a character just called Gypsy. So that's on brand.
2: <laughs> well, in Pirates of the Caribbean, he plays a character called the Spaniard. <laughs> oh,
1: okay, Zach, are you going to call me? I'm raising my hand.
2: Okay, David, who is your clopin? Yeah, who's your clopin?
1: Uh, so I was trying to think of just like kind of general tricksters again i i don't love my casting for this as much as others and i have a few names here
0: yeah again i st- I just struggle with this one and i couldn't think of somebody i was happy with
1: first name i came up with is very on brand for trickster and that'd be tom hiddleston uh
0: yeah yeah
1: having done Loki is similar uh in in some ways and then another option would be robert Carlyle, who plays Stiltskin on once upon a time oh yeah David, I like
0: that one. Yeah, Mm.
1: like that's a very similar sort of vibe. Oh,
0: David, David, I am impressed with that one. Yeah, Robert Carlyle is good. I like that guy a lot.
1: And here I'm going to throw one more from my wife. If you wanted to do some gender bending casting, and I don't really know where she pulled this one from, but it's intriguing enough that that I wanted to include it. Uh, Maisie Williams, Arya Stark, Mm. in a very different Mm. sort of way, but, you know, a similar flighty yeah running around yeah
0: there's no rule that we have to yeah like i mean they usually don't they usually mix up a couple of the right. characters in very different ways with a lot of these live actions so it'd be interesting to see what they decide to do yeah
2: so who'd you go with tom oh
0: i didn't have a choice remember for clopin
2: oh i thought you didn't have a good one i thought you still had one i uh,
0: no i no? just don't have a i don't have any solid one so this is the one that i fall i fall down on and i'm, I'm blown away by both of your choices
2: so. okay Gargoyles, then. No, no, it's so one more human. I'm doing it in the order that Tom sent in the email. These were in an email. I didn't read that email. Is that Archdeacon? Okay, the Archdeacon. Yeah, Archdeacon. Archdeacon. We'll do Archdeacon. I have both simultaneously the best casting and the worst casting possible for the okay. Archdeacon. Uh, right. so I'm gonna say no, an emphatic no to this first name. <laughs> <laughs> Which is Gerard Depardieu. Yeah, 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 sure, 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 sure. Of course. Of course. And then just all agree, no thank you, hard <laughs> pass. <laughs> and then uh, I, I decided, you know, who else? Uh, Daniel Atulil, who has a long and successful career. He's won many awards and nominations, I think it's a forgettable role, and he would crush it. Uh, Uh, Yeah, I'm
1: not even going to pretend like I've ever heard of this person before.
2: Yeah, no. But he's got tons and tons of awards. Is that how you did this?
1: French actors by number of awards, also
2: in in an age range that was appropriate for their characters, and somewhat somewhat looking like it. Wow, I think Zach took this a little too seriously. He did it a little too
1: authentically. I I feel really inadequate. I know.
0: <laughs> it's like all I know are just dumb white a listers. <laughs> Well, <laughs> well, I went with
1: Brian Cox. You went with Brian Cox. <laughs> I went with Brian Cox. You can't be serious, Brian Cox. Logan Roy. No,
2: it's so. No. It's the science communicator, or am I thinking of someone else? No, he's he's the no. That's Brian Green. Brian
1: Cox is the patriarch in uh, in Succession. Oh, okay. Uh, he he also plays Striker in X Men Two. Yeah, that's a- it's also Agamemnon and Troy. Yeah, it is so. Off type cast that I really love it and I want to see it badly. I mean,
0: okay, that's fair. I guess if you want to like put an actor in a completely different zone than they're usually in just for the sake of seeing it, I can respect that.
1: Come on, him and Charles dance young at each other.
2: Oh, all right, Tom,
0: all right, yeah, mine. Um, for the Archdeacon, I did Donald Sumter.
2: I don't know who that is. Sumter, oh, wait, oh, more Game of Thrones. Ye- Have you only seen Game of Thrones? <laughs> <laughs> He's only watched it four
1: times straight through, and
2: that does take up a surprising
1: chunk of your life when you choose to do that. Fair enough. Who's he in Game of Thrones? Maester
0: I uh, Winterfell. Maester Lewin?
1: Lewin, gotcha, yeah, yeah.
0: Maester Lewin.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's that that's two on the nose. Going one religion to the next. All right.
2: Gargoyles. Gargoyles. Victor, the tall British man. Stephen Merchant. Nice. Solid. Thank you. Solid. Steven.
1: He's the voice of Wheatley in Portal 2. That's the only thing that's <laughs> That's
2: the only note that I have of his as well. But he's done a whole bunch of other stuff that's, uh, <laughs> yeah, for me at least. Uh, he's great, but that's his most important role. You
0: see there, I, I totally appreciate that choice, except that the, the change in... Uh, uh, is it is? Am I using the word timbre correctly? Is it "timber"? No, or, you're
1: definitely not. But I'm enjoying the, that you're. I'm enjoying that you're putting your name in the word. So I've chosen not to correct you so far. It's timber. 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 No, sorry, 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 sorry. Timber. 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 It's
0: timbre. Am I using the? I'm saying it wrong, but I'm using the word correctly. Yes. Anyway. Okay. So when you're switching between soprano, alto, tenor, bass, that's timbre.
1: Ah, eh, sure. That's not. The only way you could describe, register would be another way to describe that.
0: Register, I guess. Yeah. Well, anyway, like my my brain has Victor with such a deep voice that my brain has a hard time switching to a tenor voice. But still, I appreciate that actor.
2: All right. David, who's your Victor? Yeah, I didn't do the gargoyles. You can't do the gargoyles in a live action. It would be so dumb. <laughs> well, all right. We've been throwing around live action here as if that's the the word that everyone or the phrase that everyone uses is a good phrase to describe these things. Even even like good CG, I think it would just look so stupid. Ye of little faith. The tone
1: would just be all off. Hey. I don't think I, I think I have legs to stand on considering most people do not like any of the live action Disney remakes.
0: Yeah, but like I, I am holding out hope that this is going to be the shining beacon. This is going to be the one yeah, that changes everybody's you mind. Make
1: it slightly more realistic and cut the gargoyles. Don't cut the gargoyles. Gargoyles are awesome. Anyways, we don't need to have that fight.
2: All right, David, you can you can listen to me and Tom argue. Tom, who's your victor? My victor is Jim Carter. Oh, uh, okay. Sure. I think I'm going to have to pull
1: these up. He's Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey, Carson. Uh, I didn't watch Downton Abbey. The head butler.
0: I mean, Victor has a very butler sound, so went with classic butler.
2: Yeah, he does kind of act like a butler. Yeah. Um, all right. Hugo, I have in my notes, why not Jason Alexander again? <laughs> um <laughs> But if I had to stretch it a little bit into, to some other territory, a voice that I really like, Tom's going to have the same criticism of this voice as he did the last voice. For the opposite direction. But I would go with Trevor Noah. Ooh, I
1: like that.
2: I could go with that.
1: Yeah. Trevor Noah's good. Same same sort of playful, playful air.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Trevor Noah laughs at all of his jokes. That's true. That's true, he does. (laughs) Which is great. If you're going to be in your own body for 80 years, you better find yourself funny. So (laughs) I'm not criticizing Trevor Noah laughing at his own jokes, but I think that's the kind of attitude that I want in that role. All right, Tom, who's your who you go? Well, in theme keeping with the whole Peter
0: Dinklage and Charles Dance oh, no. and Donald oh,
2: Sumter theme. You're just recasting Game of Thrones.
0: I had to go I had to go for the quadfecta.
2: Yeah, because when people think Game of Thrones,
1: they think Tywin, Tyrion, Maester Lewin.
2: <laughs> Podor?
0: No, my last one, it had to be it just had to be. I went with Jeremy Flynn.
1: No. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He's not he's he's too he's too it's too roguish. What, what's not, wrong with that? Not co- it's not comedy. That, that's a comedic role. He's not comedic enough.
0: Oh, he's very comedic. I mean, he's
1: funny, but like in a in a I don't care about what's happening around me
2: sort of way. Not like an over the top comedy sort of way. OK,
0: fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough.
2: I guess no further comment. All right. Laverne. So the original
0: voice actor for Laverne was uh, an actress named Mary... Wix or Weeks, I think it's Wix, with an E-S at the end. And I, I confess, I was never entirely certain uh, if it was a man or a woman who was voicing this character, kind of for the same reason that David wanted to see, like, Brian Cox do something that was very out of element uh, and see what that character would be like, you know, when they're doing something completely unexpected. I wanted to see, since Laverne is sort of the gargoyle who is very, you know, comforting and you know, gets annoyed with everybody, but is has the most wisdom. I thought a, an actor who would be a really interesting choice for this character would be Tony Shaloub. I wanted to see what that actor would be like in that role, and I think I think Tony would do a really good job.
1: Yeah, you kind of see it, maybe a little bit. I think you should have one of them uh, be voiced by a woman, but yeah, I yeah, that's I, fair. I do yeah. I do see what you're going for at the very least.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I that is fair too. You know, like if I. Cast Tony Shaloub as one of the others or or replace one of the others with a woman. That's fine, too. But yeah, my 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 list is very devoid of women other than Zoe Saldana. So uh, that's just how it sort of shook out.
1: And wait, do we
2: skip Zach? Totally. Absolutely. Yeah, we skip Zach. I thought I was the moderator. Sorry. And Tom was like, I'm so hard up to. Moderator didn't jump in. Moderator didn't jump in. No, I just let Tom be enthusiastic about his Laverne casting. Because I like Tom being enthusiastic. <laughs> no wonder you do this podcast. Exactly. What What other purpose does this podcast have if not Tom being enthusiastic? Indeed. Raising money for Notre Dame, by the way. That's the other reason. That's
0: right. So what? what's your casting?
2: What do you want? Who did you pick for Laverne? Oh, Aisha Tyler. <laughs> she definitely doesn't sound as old as Laverne sounds, but she's hilarious. She is hilarious. So you just went hardcore... Ethnically
1: correct for the humans, for the humans, and then the, the gargoyles. You just went with your favorite comedic
2: actors, the comedic actors that I thought would do a good job in those roles, in a voice in a voice acting way. Sure, yeah, Aisha Tyler is uh, is quite hilarious. Tom, she's the host in the new Who's Line.
1: Oh, oh, I,
0: I have seen a few episodes of that. Yeah, that's good. So if if we do actually get to see a live action uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame. Of course, I'm most interested in the architecture of the cathedral itself and seeing how they present it. Uh, It'll be once again interesting. Do they try to just have everybody's modern day uh, memory of what Notre Dame looked like in 2019? Will they just do a carbon copy of that? Or since, you know, they do try to shake things up a bit, will they try to actually do it a little bit differently and portray it as it would have appeared in the 15th century? With the painted facade, um, you never know. Nope. You don't think they'll do it, huh?
1: Absolutely not. They would never do that, huh? Nope. Nope. In the live-action remake of *Hunchback of Notre Dame*, in the role of Notre Dame, I cast the pre-fire Notre Dame. The pre-fire Notre Dame. I I would too.
2: Well, they're they're all pre-fire Notre Dames, right? The immediately pre-fire Notre Dame. I mean, you could just say like the 2019 Notre Dame. That would have required me to think about time.
1: Well, we will put all of these various actor choices in our show notes. Have fun with all of the uh, IMDB links that you're going to have to put together for the show notes. Oh, uh, yeah. The
0: hard part is going to be the spelling and figuring all that out.
2: Do you want me to just email you my list? Oh, ple-
0: that would be very helpful. Yes, please please do that.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't think any of my names were hard to spell. You're not going to David. You're going to let him struggle.
0: I mean, if you, if you do have a list, I'd appreciate that. Thank you.
2: I just deleted it. <laughs>
0: That's it for now. Check out our podcast website at cathedraltalk.fm. There you will find many architectural visuals and Minecraft goodies. If you would like to support our efforts here at Cathedral Talk to aid in the restoration of Notre Dame, please use the direct link on our website to donate to friends of de Paris.org. Friends of Notre Dame is a nonprofit organization that is leading the international fundraising efforts to rebuild and restore Notre Dame Cathedral. By donating to them through the link at CathedralTalk.fm, we'll know that our podcast is reaching new patrons. As our own Minecraft project progresses, we'll be sure to share plans, screenshots, and videos for your own own visual palette. Good day and happy building.